it makes me so happy to see this restaurant or whatever restaurant I'm working in in a summer period um, and the reaction on people's faces when you're eating something that has been pre prepared from amazing ingredients uh, and a simple mind. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It can take a moment for life to spiral out of control. Often we board the ride unwittingly. And it's not until it's too late to get off that we realise the damage it's done. But equally, a moment can jolt an awakening that allows you to correct and take a detour from the damaging path you were on. Joel Bennett is the head chef of the fish shop in Bondi. Joel, how are you? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you going? Good. You've uh, had some big career changes in the last couple of years, going from a vegan and vegetarian restaurant to a, to a fish shop. Um, but you've cooked all sorts of things. What's it been like the last couple of years as a chef with this, such different offerings? Um, I mean, it's been amazing for me personally. I think when I first got the opportunity to um, head over to Japan and do a vegan, you know, semi-fine dining vegan restaurant, I guess it, I, I took it on with with a full head of you know, a full, a full head of ambition. And I guess I wasn't afraid of cooking vegetables in the way that I would cook a piece of fish or a piece of meat in previous restaurants I'd worked in. It was, it was so much excitement. I guess, um, you know, having to having full control of the menu just gave me the ability to do whatever I wanted, apply techniques that I'd apply to a whole fish, a portion, you know, a filet mignon, you know, smoking, brining, all, all sorts of different things. So it's been really good. I want to talk about um, what you were doing there at some stage, but the fish shop has opened at a time when a lot of restaurants are really struggling and closing down and um, going into lockdown and opening again. Well, what's it been like be, having a restaurant um, open in this time? Yeah, well, I guess we've kind of been through through uh, the best of both. We Yeah, we launched um, January and... I mean, it's been it's been a it was a really strong start um, and a really amazing welcoming from the locals here in Bondi, and it was beautiful. We had you know we had the people eating oysters outside, and um, and then you know fast forward three months and we we're in we we're in lockdown, um, so we didn't really get a, the full chance to do everything that we wanted. But we've we've adapted, and I mean as is everyone else, and now we're just we're kind of <laughs> a glorified fish and chip shop. But look, it's it's um it's kind of we can see the silver lining, so to speak. So we're all excited and going to launch a beautiful new menu, hopefully in about four weeks. The last year and a half has changed so many people with different circumstances. What sort of impact and change have you had? Well, I mean, yeah, uh, March last year, I had a, a flight booked to India. I was doing four, I was going to go four, four months in India and then a big trip around Europe. And then I was going to hopefully end up working in Paris with um, James Henry on his new farm, which has been delayed. But wow. yeah, so that was, that was a really big goal of mine. But I guess, you know, more so than that, I just took a, a deep dive into, into partying early, last, early to mid last year. I was on the road with two mates. We went up the coast, down the coast, made wine, went up to Tweed, you know, did nothing except party and, and bend and, and, and abuse. And I guess coming back to Sydney with a few job offers, um, I really had to reconsider what I, you know, where I saw myself going with my career and my, my head and my emotions. And that, that took a big, it took, it took a lot to actually make the decision to go sober and clean. Um, 
realized, well, mm. admitting to myself that I, I did have a problem um, and that I wanted to change and that I could see, you know, a greater Joel coming out of that, uh, that time in my life. Tell us about the experiences that you were having. What sort of damaging, what damage were you doing to yourself? Oh, it was, it was massive. I mean, three-day benders, uh, you know, spending four figures on drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, walking up Bondi Road with 10 minutes sleep from Curlewis Street to Bondi Road to, to, you know, to go and serve 120 people and run a kitchen of four chefs. Like, it, I, I felt invincible. I thought I was invincible. I had cooking sunglasses so my boss wouldn't know I'm stoned or, or hungover. I'd put clear eyes in. Like it was, it was really bad. Like it was, it was really raw, but you know, I thought I could do it and, and I could do it. Um, and I'd done it since I was 16, 17, 18 in restaurants I'd worked in. It was almost frowned upon if you didn't partake during service on a Saturday night doing three hot food. Um, and I was a 17 year old working in these venues thinking, well, I should do it to fit in. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it was, it, it was, it just spiraled, it spiraled out of control and I just, there was one, one afternoon, it was a Wednesday afternoon, four o'clock, I was on the rocks at Tamarama snorting cocaine and drinking a bottle of Riesling thinking, this is great. But at the same time, if I keep going on this path, I'm going nowhere. Tell us about that moment that you realised you needed help and you needed change. How difficult was it to, to go through that door? I guess um, it was really hard, Anthony. I, I think, um, you know, I was home by 7.30 that night and I was beaming. Like, like I was at a festival on a, on a Sunday morning, you know, ready for the day session. And I was, I think it was the fact that it was so early during the day, um, daylight savings had just hit and it was light. And I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, where, where is this going to take me? And, and like, what, what's it going to take? Like, man, I used to drive under the influence. I used to drive hungover with things in my system that shouldn't be there. And it, the mo- in the moment, it was it was kind of like if I don't write this down, which because I literally wrote it down on a piece of paper, I wrote something along the lines of you're an incredible human being, you have so much potential and you don't need to continue with this kind of substance abuse and you know, lack of acknowledgement for yourself because at the end of the day, I had no idea who I really was. From the earliest memory of 15, I'd been drinking and partaking in things and I just, yeah, it was, it was too much. What were the steps that you started to take and and what was it feeling like for you to come away from from that? Um, first step was uh, contacting my father, who's been an amazing support through this whole journey. Um, I've got several friends in the industry that I've, that I've kind of reached out to and admitted, I guess, admitted defeat to. Um, but at the same time, I started going to NA meetings pretty regularly. That was really, really helpful for me purely because there was so many other people not in the exact situation I was in but in a similar path and they wanted to change. You know, They wanted to get healthy and clean and people that were worse than me, people that weren't worse than me. But it, wasn't, it was just about me going in there and being able to be vulnerable and, and open up about it. And, yeah, I guess, you know, telling my dad, telling my mates, there was a few key friends, um, going to the NA meetings and just having faith in myself. It was amazing. And seeing, actually acknowledging the difference, acknowledging how I felt on a Sunday morning, not hungover, you know, being up at, for sunrise, going for a surf, like first thing with like the clearest mind, dreaming of food again. Um, it was, it was, it was simply beautiful. Like I can't even explain it. It's, 
I'm, I'm, I'm approaching a year clean and, and sober, like without anything in my system. And I can't tell you how happy I am. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. <laughs> like I've got to take a breath sometimes and just think, wow, you're actually doing this. This is not an unusual experience in the hospitality industry. There's, there's many that have had similar circumstances. Why do you think this is? Um, I wish I had the exact answer, but I mean, I'll give it a go. I think, I don't know, like from, from the age of 15, 16, when I first entered kitchens, I saw all of this stuff go on. And I was so innocent back then. I was a little church boy. I was going to youth group on a Friday night. I remember saying to, saying to Grant King, on my first shift, Grant, can I have Fridays, Friday nights and Sunday nights off so I can go to youth group and church? And he was like, oh, you, you're kidding me. Like, and I, I had no idea. And like, you know, there was weed, there was Coke, there was alcohol, there was whatever else. Uh, I had no idea what a drug was, to be honest. I'd never seen one. But it, I guess it's just in the industry, you know, whether, it's a, whether you're a your manager, your sommelier, your apprentice, like someone's got gear and someone's bringing it to work whether that be a Tuesday, a Friday, a Sunday, whatever it is. And you're kind of all in it together. I mean, you would know hospitality is a family. Um, and, and when you're in a kitchen for anywhere between 10 and 17 hours a day, like these, you, you're, you're together and you're partaking together. It's the hours. It's the bosses that you, you may or may not particularly get along with. It's the kitchen staff that you may or may not get along with. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the main reason. I mean, you finish work after a 12-hour day, you all go to the pub together, someone's got a bag, let's get on it. It's just this poison uh, that, that people just like, can't control. What sort of impact has it had on you, the change that you've made in your life? Do you, do you cook differently? What, t- tell us about what impact it's had. I think, um, I think for sure. I mean, I've, as I said, I've just been so much more... I feel creative. I mean, I, I've always loved cooking on a home, kind of in a home environment. I grew up cooking and that's the reason I got into it. Um, but, I mean, when I'm, in, when I'm at work, I am just so clear, so clear-headed. Of course, emotions come up, but um, I think it's just beautiful to know that I am in the state that I am and I'm not relying on a substance, you know, or I'm not, you know, waiting to get on or like I just can't I just can't say exactly but it, it was it was so horrible back when I used to rely on these other things to to push me over the line like it's I don't know I'm feeling like overwhelmed right now because it's hearing myself say it is like it was bad it was bad but all I can say is that I'm the happiest person I've ever been um and cooking without it is so beautiful because for me when you're t- when you're doing stuff four or five nights a week that he's literally burning your taste buds away. And to know that now I'm not doing that and I can taste food, food purely and create from you know, a clear space. I, I mean, I'm so happy for that. Let's go back to when you were young. When, when did you fall in love with the idea of cooking and, and realize it could be a career? Um, it was, it was, it was about 14. I think I was, I was, I went to an all boys school and I absolutely hated it. I, I was never a kid to be head in the books. I was always outside, either skating, bike riding, surfing, um, or cooking. Cooking with mum. I'd get home from school at three o'clock and I'd dodge my homework. I'd go for a surf. I'd come back and I'd cook dinner with mum. And I think at the point I'd just done my school certificate and 
we we were on a on a summer break and I said to mom, I don't want to go back. And she was like, Okay, well let's have a look in the in the Wentworth Courier and I went for one job as an electric one one uh, interview with an electrician. I came out thinking, why would I want to fondle wires the rest of my life? And then we, we were cooking that night, and Mum used to get me to make the salad dressings. and And she looked at me and goes, "Why don't you like? Do you want to start cooking?" And that was kind of the moment. And within a week, we had we had an interview lined up at Aria, Rockpool, Key, uh, the Orient and a, few, a bunch of other hotels and the final interview of the day was King, uh, Grant King up here. And yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's been a wild ride since then, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was early on. I, I mean, I was 14, 15 when I, when I knew. You've worked at some incredible restaurants and also had an incredible influence on your own as well. Those early days in your career, what were the real integral moments that, um, that gave you the skills and the foundation to be a chef? Um, I think, yeah, definitely working, working my way up at Pier um, was just incredible. Like, there's, you know, you've, you've, I've, inter- I've listened to podcasts of people that you know I worked with in those places at Pier, especially, and like to think how much I was taught in such a short amount of time, and and how much of a sponge I was, and able to absorb so much. They were, they were the foundations. I mean, the stocks, the sauces, the consommes, the the techniques of frying, scaling, dry aging, you know, scrubbing oysters for four hours, you know, and then, you know, peeling walnuts for Katrina Canatani and, you know, buttering souffle molds, cutting the gurga butter like perfectly square with a salt flake on the corner. Like that, that, that's almost flooding my mind right now. But like they, they are the profound moments that I sometimes forget and, and often beautifully reflect on. Um, and I'm so grateful for because Grant really, really took me under his wing and don't get me wrong. It was a fucking scary place. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. Like I saw hundreds of chefs go through there in, in, in three years. I saw chefs come in at 6am and get their knives and never come back. People walking out mid service. Like it, it was, it was crazy, but I'm so thankful for Grant for, for really taking me on and, 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 and showing me like everything he knew. Um, it was, it was a very lucky moment. You also spent a bit of time with uh, Jeremy Strode at Bistrode and also the fish shop. What sort of impact did that have on you? Wow, goosebumps. Um, an incredible impact. I mean, the man was nothing short of a father figure for me. He, again, like I, I went and worked for him when I was, I think, 18 and 18, 19. And as soon as we met, like there was just this cool connection. I, I, I feel like I really... Um, I don't know. We just bonded like mates. It, it was really cool. He's very, he was very comedic in the kitchen at the same time as being very serious. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one to talk about, to be honest, mate, but he it was such an incredible soul. Um, and I mean, so many things that he's taught me I've kept, and I guess I've, I've not really had the opportunity to, to really, um, showcase what he has taught me, but there's definitely techniques and, and his, simpl- his love for simplistic things. I remember doing the fish shop menu with him. And I mean, I was very young at the time, but I had a tiny little bit of impact and, and say on the menu. But he, like, I, I definitely think about him a lot when, I, when I'm creating a dish, especially salads and, you know, the simple of just putting salsa verde in a piece of fish. You know, like for me, that is so Jeremy Strode um, when he creates a salad. His, his beautiful love of, um, you know, white porcelain is, you know, these things that flood my memory. You got sick of working nights and joined the 
the crew at the Three Blue Ducks in Bronte. How different was that shift from working night to day and did it have an impact on your lifestyle? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that was, a, that was a great, that was a great move. I mean, I was, yeah, as I said, I was so over the, you know, the late nights and traveling into the city. I just, I was living in Bondi at the time and I'd skate or bike ride over to, over the ducks and do the, the breakfast shift, smash out 50 muffins and then bacon egg rolls, a couple of salads for lunch. And by three thirty, four o'clock, it's all wrapped up and I'm in the surf or down the skate park. So that like lifestyle, I feel like it was really, really good for my head. And Yes, I definitely think the partying kind of happened a little bit more and I thought I was invincible because the moonrise was closer and I was going to be up at six anyway, so I didn't sleep. But there's definitely, I think it was, it was, it was a really cool change um, and just to work with different kind of people. I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing crew down there and very fun and all young dudes that just, I don't know, love that lifestyle, you know, the nights off and we'd all go for a wave in the afternoon and yeah, it was a really cool, really different change. But I, I would, I don't know. I've, I've definitely thought about going back to cafes or doing a cafe one day. But no, I've, I've somehow ended up ended back on the night shifts. <laughs> the the three blue ducks at Bronte that kind of started a wave of um, elevating sort of everyday eats in in Sydney. And tell us about the food that you were cooking there. Was it was it far removed from what you were used to? Um, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, that was the first place that ever worked the breakfast shift. Um, but at the same time, I really, I, I really remember having a pivotal moment in my career where I honestly woke up one day with the vision of like the vision and the understanding of food. Um, and I've, I've said this to many people in the past that it was a time at the Ducks where all my learnings and all my teachings from peer and, and CBD and you know, fish shop with Jeremy kind of came together and I started creating my own style. Um, and I was putting stuff on the lunch menu that, that really kind of resonated with me exact, you know, uh, little snippets of Japanese food, Italian, Mediterranean. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, like the breakfast menu was one thing, but the lunch menu was where I kind of really developed my own style. And, and that was such a beautiful memory for me because it, 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 it just became clear to me that, that I understood food. And I remember saying to Grant early on in my career, like, when am I going to be out of, like, he, he, just, he used to change the menu every single service. And I used to just be so, in, like, so intrigued of how can you just come up with a dish, like, that quick? And I said to him, like, when, when will I be able to, like, ha- have that skill? And he's like, it'll happen. And, you know, going back to the ducks, it was simply a moment where I woke up and thought, I get food. And, and, yeah, it was beautiful, really profound. After the Ducks, you had your first head chef role. How different was that um, compared to working with brigades? Um, I think I definitely bit off more than I can chew. Um, I skipped the ranks, so to speak, in the kitchen. And, and um, yeah, I, I head chefed up the uh, Henry Dean at the top of the Palisade, which is where, again, I, I guess I, I had the confidence to showcase my own style and, you know, design the menu. But... It, it was hard. Like I'd never run a kitchen before and I was, I think I was 23 or 24. Um, and I think what I've, what I've always done in the kitchen is really tried to create a, a safe environment where all the chefs can, like we, I learn off my apprentices, right? Like I, and I, I'm, I'm the first to admit that. Like I want people to have ideas and says in the kitchen. And that's why I think I've been able to, um, 
I guess, float as a head chef because like, not that I fully rely on people, but like, I love giving people the opportunity to have a say in the kitchen. I will always listen to my staff. I will always, you know, kind of be the first to, you know, say, is there something wrong? Or like, can we, can we fix this dish? Or do you want to do a dish? And then we work on it together. Um, but yeah, like running, running my first kitchen, it was definitely a tough one. It ended prematurely, but, um, no, it was definitely a great learning curve. Good experience. Tell us about your experience uh, opening the lifestyle health venues and restaurants in Beijing. So Beijing, um, <laughs> wow, what an experience. I, yeah, a friend of mine that went to university with my brother um, op- wanted to open like a gym cafe style, I guess kind of like a F45, um, but with a, a cafe attached to it. So we... Yeah, we, I spent about four, four and a half, five months over there. Um, and, and honestly, <laughs> Darren and Mark might not like this, but I stole a lot of ideas from the ducks and kind of took them over there. You know, there was the Bircher, the, uh, the, you know, the, the quick scramble and a bunch of beautiful other things. But that was, I mean, such an incredible experience to be over there. And, you know, I had a translator. Um, it, was, it was bizarre to say the least. I was very out of my depth. Um, but I feel like that's the only way that I've kind of gone through my career. It's either, you know, I don't want to go into to a place with too much confidence because I think that can end in a, you know, a potentially negative way. I love to, I love to be in the uncomfortable. Um, and that was certainly that. At the top of the show, you mentioned uh, the plant-based hotel in, in China and also Pepe's with uh, vegetarian cooking. Tell, tell us about your approach there you and the confidence that you showed on the plate. Um, is there any dishes that you can tell us about that sort of exemplify how you sort of really uh, made a name for yourself with amazing vegetarian food? Yeah, so just, just a quick correction, both actually vegan venues, um, so fully plant-based. And I guess the, the, the small boutique chalet in Japan called Emioko, um, shouts out, they have done such an incredible job of creating a, I guess, taking an old school uh, Japanese Alp hotel and remaking it into something incredible. Um, but I guess my approach there was to take my style, you know, techniques I've learned at Pier and plating that I learned at Pier in Gastro Park. Like it, I was, I'm a sucker for like a beautiful plate. Um, but I guess the approach I went into, it, it, was, it, was, it was honestly a scary one. It was winter in Japan. Like, and I was thinking, what am I going to cook with cabbage and daikon and turnips? Like, is that it? Um, but you know, it was really cool. I would go literally go down to the markets three days a week and I would plan my menu based off that trip. And some days there were mushrooms, some days there weren't mushrooms, some days there were carrots, some days there weren't. There was an amazing array of, um, Japanese herbs and, and leaves and whatnot. So that's kind of how I based my dishes off that. And then not to mention the Japanese citrus that was coming in from around the country. Um, so I guess... Yeah, I mean, some of the dishes were like, I, I kind of went about it as a theme, right? I, I wanted to theme it around things that inspired me in nature, whether that be mountains or a stream or, um, you know, a certain kind of meal that I'd have had with protein. So there was this one dish, which I called the roast dinner, and it was a carrot that I'd um, marinated in koji overnight, what, rinsed it, and then uh, smoked it in like a Japanese pine, and then finished it off over charcoal, glazed it in a miso brown sugar glaze. And then that was served with a burdock puree, uh, burdock chips, roasted lentils, and a jus made from vegetable scraps. So, and I mean, eating that dish, 
it blew me away. Like I, and again, like I just, I, I pay homage to the techniques that I've, that I've been taught in my career because to be able to take a, a like purely vegetable, a pure vegetable and turn it into something that does, I don't want it to kind of replace meat, but showcase it to the point where you can actually be satisfied with that. Um, and then there was a dessert that I just was so stoked with. I called it the vegan Weespa, um, which it was a, we had this guy making tofu for us down the road. It was a silken tofu ice cream. Luckily I had a packer jet over there. Silken tofu ice cream with a Hazuki sorbet. Hazuki, AKA gooseberry, um, just has that beautiful flavor when it's ripe of, of mango, passion fruit, you know, strawberries from that tomatillo family, the nightshades. Um, and yes, I served that on, on, on fresh snow. So there was the bowl of snow, the bowl on top, and then the two, the ice cream and the sorbet. And that was just, yeah, gorgeous. <laughs> you came back to Australia and you were part of the team that opened up a vegan restaurant in Bondi that um, had queues down the road. Um, tell us about that venue and, and um, what you got out of it. Oh, what a, yeah, such a cool experience. I, Firstly, I'd never made pasta. I'd never worked in an Italian restaurant. I've worked with many Italian chefs and um, I'm so grateful for that because, I mean, when you work with an Italian in a restaurant, they're the first to tell you, you know, something's right or wrong when you're making a, t- a pasta for staff meal, right? Um, but it just, again, I'll say it ignited my love for discomfort and every single night I was there for the first couple of months, I would go home, you know, every so often and I would watch a, a YouTube tutorial on a different shape of pasta or I was reading up books on pasta, but I would have, you know, obviously when you're making a ravioli, a yolk is something that is going to strengthen that for the elasticity. I had to come up with ways that we're going to do that without eggs, um, making a certain dough. For me, gnocchi, we, I mean, we did 90 kilos of gnocchi a week at least um, and it was just potato and flour. So, you know, making sure that potato is cooked to perfection without too much liquid so you're not adding too much starch. Um, but again, it was, I found it really rewarding to be able to create these sauces and, and, and salads and sides and, and, and appetizers that didn't contain, you know, cheese or dairy. And it's not the fact that I don't eat it. I've never been vegan. But I really loved sit, being in that, I guess, that space of being able to create something that no one else is really doing. Um, I know Gigi's in Newtown, incredible venue, you know, turned vegan several years ago and they're doing an amazing job of it. But you know, and then to talk about the tiramisu, I don't know how many Italians would classify it as a tiramisu, but, you know, that was a really cool experience creating that, um, doing a vegan panna cotta set with xanthan gums. Like, obviously, it's never going to be exactly the same. But the fact that we had people lining out the door, um, that we were doing something right. Um, again, a beautiful experience. It was a very cozy little place. And, yeah, I love Peppy's. These days you're at the fish shop. Um, tell us about what you're doing there. What does it take to create a great seafood dish? Um, you've had amazing experience in the past with Pierre and uh, the fish shop. Um, how influential were they on what you do? Massively, massively. Um, I, yeah, so I've been here 10 months now, loving it, um, ready to plate food again. Um, but I guess, yeah, I mean, kind of very different places, right? Pier was so finessed. I mean, I look at Grant's, I look at the Pier cookbook on a monthly basis and, and, and I'm still inspired. You know, there was so many dishes in that book that um, I guess influenced the menu here 
um, there's certain techniques that I that I use that you know have come from Pierre and, and Fish Shop. But I think the key to creating a beautiful seafood dish is simplicity. Fish is, can be a very very delicate flavor, and I I never want to drown it heavily in butter or cream. Um, for me, it's always fresh flavors, salsa verde, you know, uh, sauce rosa, um, or chili and garlic. You know, nothing overpowering. I want to, I want to highlight the fish, but accentuate it with the the sauce or the condiment that's going to go with it. But um, for me, seafood equals simplicity. You've had uh, been involved in two restaurants in uh, the Bondi area recently. Well, what's it about the area that appeals to you? Um, from running an establishment point of view? That's a question I've never been asked. Um, I don't know. I think for me, like the lifestyle is, is amazing. Like we get, we get a couple of hours break during the week here and, you know, there's, if there's a wave, I'm taking my board down and going for a surf. Um, I mean, I love being close to the ocean. It's been a part of my life for a very, very long time. Um, and, I mean, I have a lot of friends around here and it's really nice. I really love when, you know, people come and visit me at work and I'm able to, you know, provide a treat or an experience for them you know for them and their families or their friends I yeah I don't know it was it's always been a special place in my heart although I, I grew up in Maroubra but you know coming to Bondi around the early 20 markets it's just always been a place where I've felt really comfortable you're well known for uh, your chefing prowess but a lot of people don't know about your photographic skills as well um, tell us about the journey you've been on with photography <laughs> yeah I mean for me, photography has a very, it's a really special kind of journey. Um, I came across a box of uh, photos from my late mother when I was about 16, 17, oh, sorry, not, I was about 19. Um, and for me, that was a really pivotal moment in my life. She, would, she just had such a way of um, presenting, you know, whether that be a cliff face or Marne Pool or, you know, North Bondi rocks or the sand at South Maroubra. Um, and it, it was around that time where I picked up a point and shoot. Um, and then since then I've, I've never really stopped. I've got a bunch of cameras at home and for me, it's a pastime. I've, I grew up on the cliffs of Maroubra and I would, I, I, I will still go over there for an hour and just sit there and watch the waves and, you know, capture something that captures me. Um, but on top of that, I love portraiture. I shot a lot of portraits in, in Indonesia and in China and Japan. Um, but yeah, photography has a really special place in my heart and I think it's, I think it's really important for, for, for people who are in such a kind of, uh, you know, involved uh, lifestyle and career to have other things. And for me, that's photography. It's, it's surfing. It's swimming. Yeah. You've managed to find some real equilibrium and balance in your life through a really turbulent time in our, in our history. Um, how, how much is life different now to two years ago for you? It is extremely different. It is, um, it is better in, in I, I mean, so many ways. I still get asked very often, are you going to have a drink on your birthday? Are you going to have a drink at Christmas? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Like right now it is, it is one day at a time and I'm just so grateful that I can go to bed at night and wake up in the morning completely clean, completely sober. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a big journey and it's seriously not an easy one. Um, but I'm so thankful for, for my family, my mates, the NA meetings um, that have, you know, been able to point me in the right direction. But, yeah, far out, worlds apart from two years ago, worlds apart and a lot richer. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've had such an extraordinary experience with different cuisines and, and with different chefs. What is it that you love about what you do? Um, I think what it is that I love is combining my, honestly, the time that I have out of the kitchen, in my own kitchen, um, being able to be inspired by what I cook, at home, cook and create at home and then being able to take that into a kitchen and have the ability to inspire yet be inspired by the people around me. Um, and create the, the most simple yet, I guess, um, profound food that people can just enjoy. Like, it makes me so happy to see this restaurant or the, whatever restaurant I'm working in in a summer period um, and the reaction on people's faces when you're eating something that has been pre- prepared from amazing ingredients uh, and a simple mind. Well, Joel, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear only just a fraction of your story um, and your incredible story. Um, Please keep in touch and good luck with the fish shop and we'll catch up again soon. For sure. Thank you so much, mate. I'll speak to you soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.